Hey, it looks like people are joining in. Welcome uh, to Crosspoint. I'll give a, a welcome again in a few minutes. It's about um, 10.54, according to my computer here, and we'll start. Uh, hopefully at 11, we may give a couple more minutes for folks to, to link up. But you are uh, joining Crosspoint Fellowship in Greenville, Texas, on our live feed this morning um, for a sermon from Mark chapter 14. And uh, I'll share more in a few minutes. Okay, I see folks joining on. Um, Christy, if you're one of them, or Cody, maybe just text me and let me make sure that you can hear me. Cody, just uh, maybe you can text me and make sure. All right, good, loud and clear. Hopefully we won't have to get good at this. Excellent. Weird technology. Funny. Getting texts from everybody. That's cool. I'm going to have to set my phone aside because it'll distract me. Uh, we'll start in just a few minutes. Good question. No, the body is online. So I'm, in fact, I'm live right now on uh, the website. I think that link would be something you would post on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah. All right. Okay. Sorry. Hey y'all, it's 1057 and it looks like a bunch of y'all are jumping on. So this is working. I can't even believe technology. Thank you, Cody Holt, for setting this up for us. Uh, you have uh, dialed in to Crosspoint Fellowship's live feed uh, for uh, a virtual uh, time of worship where we're distributed in homes and we're going to join one another through the uh, internet and through God's word and in worship. Um, together around a sermon and um, sort of a meal from God's Word in a few minutes. So we're about two minutes out, and I may wait for a couple minutes beyond 11 just to make sure we've got everybody on that's going to be on. I see a bunch of folks dialing in. You've joined Crosspoint Fellowship's um, live feed in Greenville, Texas. And... Um, 
really know what to do with these next two minutes. Tap dance. I hope we'll be able to step up my game in the coming weeks, but hopefully we won't have to get good at this. Or have some music or something playing so you're not having to just look at my face and I'm not having to fill these moments with something. The um, live feed is strange because I'm looking at my own face right now. And that's uh, kind of alarming. But I see numbers of people that are on with us online and it looks like it just turned 11. So we are um, connecting to a number of homes right now, and I want to welcome you to Crosspoint Fellowship. We are glad that you're joining us in this virtual environment. Uh, we um, are wanting to do the very best that we can in this season with continuing to uh, worship together as much as we possibly can. Uh, it's uncharted territory for every single person in the church. I think um, hopefully this is something that we'll none of us will have to be good at ever, that we can all just look back and remember when things were really strange and we were trying to figure out how to navigate life. So we're going to do the very best we can as a church to continue to dine together uh, on the Word each Sunday uh, at the very least. Uh, there are going to be some resources we're going to put in front of you in the, in the coming weeks uh, that will provide for some home worship, um, worshiping as families and as uh, small groups of folks. Uh, so we want to uh, just encourage you to check your email uh, frequently and looking for email from Crosspoint. We're not gonna try and inundate you with material, just what will be helpful for you in this season to continue worshiping and looking to the Lord uh, as we navigate these coming weeks. Uh, still folks joining in, we've got uh, almost 50 homes that are being, there's 50 right there, 50 homes that are connecting and connecting to us right now. And um, I'll just trust that whoever else joins in, joins in these next few minutes. Let me begin our morning um, just first of all by welcoming those. So I know we have some folks possibly who are dialing in, joining in with us online that may be doing that for the first time, may have never worshiped, worshiped with us physically, and this may be your first worship experience with us. And I admit it is unusual, but hopefully you'll get a taste of what we um, do together weekly on Sundays. We spend time in God's Word. We spend time in prayer. Uh, what you're missing out on, at least physically, live in a live version is uh, we worship together in song as well. And uh, there are some resources that we are trying to get in front of our, our church each week uh, in these coming weeks so that you can worship at home. And there's a possibility we may be able to have some live worship that's mixed for our video uh, in the coming weeks. So between now and then, you can hopefully plan on, if the Lord wills it, that every uh, Sunday at 11 a.m. I'll be right here or near about. Um, and uh, bringing a, a word of encouragement to you from God's Word. 
we have a new website that is very close to being launched that uh, it's very timely that uh, that is is near near launching because we're obviously all moving into a hyper virtual environment so i uh, want to have that resource in front of you as soon as possible so be looking for that as well uh, as we provide that resource for you let's uh, begin our morning and after those brief announcements in prayer if you'll join me Lord, we are thankful for these few minutes that we have together. We acknowledge um, and actually celebrate that we are uh, united as one people this morning. Uh, we share uh, one Savior, uh, one Spirit, um, one cup that we uh, have celebrated, uh, one cross. Um, and this morning, I just pray that this oneness will be something that will guide us as we gather around your word knowing that you're with us Lord, we pray too that you would um, that we can lift up a, a people group we want to pray for the house of people of nigeria a people 33 million strong uh, less than um, actually 1.5 percent uh, is christian lord we we uh, just want to lift this this large people group up to you and ask you to send workers to the far corners lord that you would send people to this people group uh, that would sow the good seed of the kingdom and uh, that would uh, you would couple that with people that are looking for answers they're looking for for a desire to know their creator or that, that those dots would connect in a way that would bring you glory and would advance your kingdom i would pray that you would uh, just create a discomfort in folks here that they just can't stay because they have to go to these people groups that have been outreached and what we too pray that as we pray for these people groups of, of millions of people that don't know you that as these people groups are drawn to you that it would hasten christ's return or we uh, pray for his return soon and we pray that that will be accomplished uh, only only after we have reached your world for you and that you have uh, drawn your people all people groups on you uh, we're entrusting the house of people to you right now Lord, we also want to pray for our local churches i'm praying for um Pastors all over our community like now, or likely right now, they're doing the very same weird, uh, unusual thing that I'm doing right now, trying to uh, to connect to a people through the internet. Lord, I uh, just pray that, or actually, I thank you that in times of uh, difficulty, that your church, your kingdom has grown. Lord, we ask for that in this weird, really weird season that even despite the disconnect physically, that you would grow your people, that you would galvanize your people to love their neighbors, um, to love Christ out loud. As men and women of sincerity to speak in Christ, we pray that you would uh, work that as a, a people in this community, the people of God uh, distributed among various churches and probably this morning distributed among many, many different homes all over our community. Lord, we entrust these fellow churches to you. Lord, also want to pray for the sick and suffering this morning. We pray for Trevor. We pray for Cam and Lynn. We pray for Everett and Caroline. We pray for Sarah and others who are sick, are possibly getting sick. Uh, Lord, we, uh, in this uh, time where this is just right in front of us every single day, we see these these numbers of cases increasing, Lord, we put that at your feet and we ask you to uh, watch over your people, Lord, to, uh, to give us a, some cure soon. 
to help flatten this curve. Uh, show us how to do that and Lord, to use this season to advance your kingdom. We are entrusting these things, these various things to you and entrusting this time to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, we are in the season of Lent right now. We are in our fourth Sunday. And we have, if you notice beside me, it's probably kind of hard to tell on the video. I'm not sure that I, what you're what you're seeing. But we have three candles that are extinguished. And I'm about to extinguish a fourth candle. And I'm going to share our reading from Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the air that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot because he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let's pray again. Lord, we ask you in these next few minutes uh, that. As we continue the season of Lent, Lord, that this morning that we will enjoy the salvation that we have in Christ. That we will enjoy this, this unbelievable protection that we have in Christ. That nor a pestilence or plague will come near us because of what Christ has accomplished for us. We're thankful for this salvation that has been secured in the work of the cross. We're thankful for this season that we get to celebrate and remember the travail of the cross and the wonder of the empty tomb. Lord, we entrust this season of Lent to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Put out our fourth candle. These candles will be put out progressively as we near um, Good Friday afternoon when we will extinguish our last candle and they will all be relit anew on Easter morning. Our passage this morning is from Mark chapter 14. So I would invite you to join me in Mark chapter 14, uh, beginning in verse 12. I'll be reading through verse 25. If you are in homes and you're able, and if you're willing, you may stand for the reading of God's word. I'm kind of in a weird geometric lineup here where that would be kind of awkward, so I'm going to stay seated. But if you'd like to turn there, I'll give you a moment to do that. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, 
Say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it, as it, as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Let's pray one more time. The Lord will speak to us through these words. Lord, we ask you to speak through your word this morning. Lord, show us the beauty of our Savior in this passage. Show us the scandal of who's actually sitting at the table and the wonder of this good news that we walk in. Lord, speak to us and equip us. And bring these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so the plan for this passage, uh, the plan for preaching in these next few minutes is I'm going to take a few minutes and just sort of develop the timing of this event, the setting, and the context of the Passover. And then I'm going to share, really, I think, a couple of things that Mark seems to draw out in his version of this Last Supper. So let's climb into the timing and setting. The ancient Hebrews timed their days a little differently than we do. You know, for most of us, we go from midnight to midnight is how we look at a regular day. For the ancient Hebrews, they looked from sunset to sunset. So the day begin at sunset and end the next day at sunset. So in this case, the first day of unleavened bread, they're identifying is also the day that they sacrificed the Passover lambs. So that day would begin at a sunset in the evening, and then the Passover lambs would be sacrificed that next afternoon. So the evening that our Lord with, our, with his disciples are likely eating this Passover meal is likely the night before everyone else ate the Passover. That would place him then on the cross on the afternoon when the Passover lambs were actually being sacrificed. Man, that would be fitting, wouldn't it? Just think about that and consider that he's hanging on the cross during the hours when 266,000 Passover lambs were sacrificed in an afternoon at the temple. And he's actually giving up his spirit at around 3 p.m. is the moment every day when they had what's called a tamid sacrifice at 3 p.m. every day. They would have stopped the major sacrifice of all these lambs and would at 3 p.m. have sacrificed this important daily sacrifice at the moment that he gives up his spirit and the moment that the veil was torn in two. I can only imagine what that would have happened, what, 
what that would have been like at the temple as that veil was torn into, as it's dark on this afternoon, and they're sacrificing thousands of lambs, and then at 3 p.m. when the veil was torn into. The timing of this, if he would have had the meal, the Passover meal, the night before, it would allow for him to have sort of a pre-Passover with his disciples. Everyone else would have been having their Passover meal the next day. Something else that gives us sort of a sense that this is the better timing for his Passover meal is that there's something noticeably absent from his Lord's Supper account and the other Lord's Supper accounts, a Passover lamb. The Passover lambs would have been sacrificed that next afternoon when he's hanging on a cross. So they would not have been able to have a Passover lamb. We don't know that this is absolutely the case, but it appears the absence of the Passover lamb is actually dating it and timing it in the, the evening prior after sunset. And I want you to think about this for a minute. It is fitting that the lamb wouldn't be on the table as part of the meal because the lamb was actually reclining at the table and dining with them. Now, some of the details that come out of this passage are interesting. They sound a lot like chapter 11, where he was to link up, where he had a couple of disciples link up to get the donkey's colt. He sent two disciples to go into the town, and they look for a man carrying a jar. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. This is hard to imagine if if you've ever been to Jerusalem or if you've ever done any research on the size of Jerusalem or the wall, the, the old Jerusalem, it's a pretty small space. And at the time of Passover, they probably would have had two and a half million or so people in Jerusalem. Two and a half million people. And they're supposed to go into town and identify a man carrying around a jar. Now, something that is helpful is actually women were the ones that carried jars. So this would be like go into town and find the man that's carrying a purse because it, typically men didn't carry jars. So they were to follow this man when they found the guy carrying the purse or the jar. You understand the metaphor. Uh, they were to follow him to an upper room. The size of the upper room here gives us the sense that this was a family of means. For a family to have an upper room in Jerusalem that would support the size and they would have the space available on that night, which suggested it was a family of means. Now, the writer of this gospel, a man named Mark, also called John Mark, lived in Jerusalem with his family. His mother was named Mary. And there are some people that believe that this room where they had this last supper was also the room where they prayed in the moments and hours leading up to Pentecost in Acts chapter 1. That would give some indication that possibly this guy carrying the jar that these two disciples were to meet have, could have possibly been John Mark himself. He gives us no uh, insight into that, but that's an interesting connection. One thing we can see, though, from the donkey's colt, the prearrangement for the donkey's colt, and then the prearrangement for the upper room preparation, is that both of those point to a very deliberate cross very deliberate cross. See, our Savior here in these moments leading up to the cross, he was not a passenger in his crucifixion. He was not a helpless victim in this story. He willingly gave up his life for us, like a faithful high priest deliberately offering himself up. 
Something else is that's interesting from this passage, as Mark tells the story, is there's no mention of Judas. Now we know the story that Judas has a, has an important role, as a real sinister role, as a bad guy. But in this case, he's never even mentioned. He's not even really identified as a guy who left the room early once he was identified as the betrayer. John identifies him as someone who left early. In this account, though, there's no mention of him. It seems as if Mark wants to put Christ at the center of the story, period. This isn't about Judas. It's not even about his disciples necessarily. Christ is the centerpiece of the meal. He's the main course and he's the centerpiece. Now, let me share a little bit of context with you about the traditional Passover meal. Even though this is likely the night before, we might call it a pre-Passover meal. They would likely have followed many of the traditional Passover traditions. There's a good thought that, or a good possibility that this is likely their third Passover together. The disciples' third Passover with our Lord. Now, here are a few interesting details about the Passover. The Passover was to be eaten within the walls of Jerusalem. Okay? If you weren't in the walls of Jerusalem, you weren't having the Passover meal proper. And you wouldn't have a Passover lamb because it was only within the walls of Jerusalem that you were able to get one of those 266,000 lambs that were sacrificed that next afternoon. And that meal was to be eaten within the walls of Jerusalem. So if you lived in Bethany with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, you weren't eating the proper Passover. You had to go two miles away to Jerusalem to eat it within the walls. You also had to eat it in one evening. And it was a significant investment time-wise. It likely began at sunset and would end around midnight. Families would probably combine if they were smaller families or if they were families without means. If they weren't able to afford multiple Passover lambs, they would likely combine their Passover meal. The sequence of events for the Passover is interesting. And if you would turn to Exodus chapter 6. I have just a few satellite passages for you to look at today. And Exodus chapter 6 is one of those passages. So I'll give you a moment to turn there. Exodus chapter 6. I want you to listen for four parts. Four parts of the Passover meal that come from this passage. Beginning in, in, in chapter 6, verse 6. Say therefore the people of Israel, I am the Lord. Here's part one. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Part two, I will deliver you from slavery to them. Part three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And part four, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who's brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now, that little layout there is a helpful uh, sort of guide for the Passover meal. I'm going to come back to that at the end of the morning. But let me kind of explain how the typical Passover meal went, sort of connecting to those four parts. Those four parts really were sort of delineated by four cups of wine. So the worshiper on a Passover meal, I mean, I'm not sure how, the, how old children might be if they're partaking, but, or how old they would have to be to partake. But the typical worshiper had four cups of wine at the Passover meal over the course of the evening. So here's what went with, with cup number one. A blessing pronounced by the eldest man. 
okay, and a cup of wine coupled with that blessing. And then during the second cup of wine, the youngest in the family would ask this question, why is this night different from other nights? Why is this night different from other nights? And the oldest man in the room would then uh, recount deliverance from Egypt. Here's a nice little passage you, you may reference. You can turn there if, you, if you'd like to in Deuteronomy chapter 26. This is sort of a summary of what the oldest might describe. He might even reference this passage directly. Here's a response to that question from the youngest. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down from Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great and mighty and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord and the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That is probably a, a nice summary of what the eldest would have, have responded with when that youngest asked that question. Why is this night different from other nights? He would have given a summary of the story. I want you to just think for a moment. One of the things that I'm enjoying about the beauty of this season right now is that you're have to, having to worship in homes. There's an eldest believer in the room. And there's a youngest in the room that can likely sing Jesus loves me, that loves Jesus. And just imagine that in this context here, that youngest turning to the oldest and they're being prepared for that. Okay, here, little Johnny, here's the question you're going to ask grandpa and turning and asking that question. Why is this night different from other nights? One of the things I'm enjoying about that scenario and what I'm enjoying about this season right there is that families had to own the story. Families had to own the story. Here's what's cool about that. That eldest that was to describe and share the story of Israel and how God had delivered them was once the youngest asking that question. Man, I got, I got goosebumps thinking about that. That's unfolding in your home right now as we continue to pass this story to the next generation. That was the second. Then at that point in the Passover meal, the eldest pronounced a benediction over the various foods that symbolized their captivity in Egypt. He would speak about the unleavened bread. And here's a, a, a common um, benediction to say over the bread. Just listen to the content of this. This is the bread of the affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who is needy come and eat. The Passover meal. Man, I'm imagining Jesus saying those words over the bread at the previous Passover meals. It sounds like words that Jesus would have said, some, something along the lines of, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you some rest. And I'm going to give you nourishment, and I'm going to tend to you. 
that was likely something like that said over the bread. Over the bitter herbs, they would have connected to the bitterness of slavery in Egypt. They had stewed fruit. I don't know about you, but that does not sound good to me. My fruit fresh or not at all, I guess. I don't, the stewed fruit sounds strange, but I, I'm not a fan of the idea, but apparently that's what they had, stewed fruit, and it had a consistency of mortar and would connect them to the story where they were making bricks in Egypt. And then, of course, the roasted lamb. God passing over Israel while they ate the Passover lamb with the blood of that lamb on the doorposts and lentils while their loins are girded and their staff is in hand. The meal itself was a way to tell the story. Now, the distribution of the meal would take place at that point. They do distribute the parts of the meal, and that took place in silence. You just imagine the youngest having asked that question, and the oldest, and everyone else in the room sitting there just hearing the silence of maybe just the utensils and the plates as the food is distributed around the room. And then while they drank of the third cup, they ate and they fellowshiped and they remembered the great stories of the redemption of their God and their people while they drank that third cup. Can you imagine the worship that must have gone on at that table that night? Can you imagine the worship that must have gone on in the previous two Passovers that they spent together as ordinary men recounted the story of the wonder of creation? while God is sitting an arm just at the end of the table, while God himself is sitting with them. Man, you talk about some straightaway worship. As they're recounting and enjoying the, the catastrophe, yet the deliverance in the flood, as they're recounting and remembering the story of the exodus and the travail of the, the difficulty, as they're remembering the conquest in Joshua when he fit the battle of Jericho, and they're remembering the story of Rahab as they're telling the stories at this table of the judges. Man, if I was a kid, I would imagine that'd be my favorite part of the meal, telling and hearing the story of the judges. Have you ever read the story of uh, Ehud and Eglon? Man, if you want to hear some crazy stories, read the book of Judges. You want to hear about a woman that moved like a boss or her name was Deborah or another one named Jael. It was pretty handy with a tent peg. Can you imagine those stories over this meal at this Passover each year? The stories of the kings, the stories of the exiles within the restoration. And God is sitting there in earshot, just being enjoyed. Man, that is wonderful. That's beautiful. And I want you to consider this. Is it any different when you sit at the table and enjoy what God has done? When two or more are gathered in his name, knowing that he is there with us, he's in earshot and he's being enjoyed. The, the Passover meal then concluded near midnight with the singing of a psalm. If you're still in Mark or if you can turn back to Mark, we'll kind of pick that up, pick up the storyline there. And I'll show you what's going on there in verse 26. At the conclusion of the meal, it says in verse 26, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, there's something that's important that's missing from that passage. Now, first of all, the hymn that they probably sung, sang, Christy will have to correct me on that. Man, I struggle with that for some reason, was one of the Hillel Psalms, or possibly even all the Hillel Psalms, Psalm 116 to 118. 
and then they drink the fourth cup. What's missing from this account is the fourth cup. And we'll come back to that later. Now there's some special lessons from Mark's account of the supper. Just a couple that I'm going to draw out. And here's the first lesson. I'm going to read verse 22 again. The lighting in here is really bad, so hopefully I can find this. As they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. The first thing that I think is drawn out of this passage from Mark is an emphasis on distribution. An emphasis on distribution. Now, the food at this point has already been distributed. They're eating. In fact, the passage says that while they were eating. So it's already been distributed. So there's something happening here where he then either he hadn't distributed the bread yet, which would have been out of order, or he's redistributing the bread. Okay, or possibly this was during the silence of the initial distribution where he says, take, this is my body. Five simple words with no explanation. Let that hit you for a minute. Five simple words with no explanation. Something that's hard to draw out from this passage, which is having the words on the page, is the, the, the word for take there is actually in, the, in an imperative sense. It's like he's commanding them, like he's emphasizing, take it. This is my body. Take it. It's the only imperative of the supper passage. And he says, take it. This is my body. In the original language, what he's sort of developing there is these, this phrase. Take it. I am myself this bread. I am myself this bread. I want to um, reread, if I could, this unleavened bread blessing that I read a moment ago. This is the bread of the affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who's needy come and eat the Passover meal. The emphasis there is come to the meal. The emphasis here, though, that Jesus is drawing out is come to me. I'm your meal. I'm now your meal. What he says and what he doesn't say, I think, is important. He just shares these five simple words. But what isn't said is what's often developed in the Lord's Supper presentation. And I'm sure that there have been times where I've said this from time to time over the years. I'll share a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And you can just listen to this passage. It's a very traditional uh, supper account. It's Paul's version of the supper account. And in chapter 11, verse 24, Paul writes this as recounting what Jesus said. This is my body, which is for you. Now, that might sound a little bit familiar, but you might be thinking about that. It seems like there's a word that's missing there. And that word is actually in the King James Version and is in some obscure manuscripts. There's a little note at the bottom of my page. This is my body, which is broken for you. Or this is my body broken for you. The word that's missing here is also missing from Mark's account. And it's missing from Paul's account, I think, in the better manuscripts. The point here is not the brokenness. Okay, you, I may have said this before in distributing the meal. This is the body of Christ broken for you. But the brokenness of the bread is just mentioned as a logistical issue. He broke it and passed it around. But what he says 
the simple. He says nothing about the brokenness of the bread. What he seems to be emphasizing instead is the distribution of himself. And he commands them, take some of me. Take me. Take it. He's commanding them. This is my body, which is for you. The emphasis is distribution. Take it. I am myself the bread. In these simple words, he seems to be saying, I'm giving you access to me. I'm giving you access to me. I'm here in this. And there's enough, by the way. You don't have to worry about the shells needing restocking. There's plenty of me. Even someone who's trying to hoard me, they can't because there's plenty to go around. I'm giving you access to me. Baskets left over, in fact, if we wanted to use some recent um, meal-type settings. Baskets left over is a fitting image. I won't run out. I'm ample. I'm enough. What is so, so wonderful about this, these five simple words and what he says and what he doesn't say here is he is making a pledge of presence that when they gather and break bread together, he is with them. A pledge of presence. Y'all, we enjoy his presence every single week when we gather and take the supper. We can know that he is still with us when we break bread together in remembrance of him. And displaced as we are, when you take the supper at home in a few minutes, I encourage that. He is with you. He promised it. He made a pledge of that. And we can know that it's true so you can take it. You can take him. One of the things that's implied in this bread distribution, this pledge of presence, is the thing that we'll celebrate on April 12th. Whether we're together or apart, we're going to celebrate it nonetheless. We're going to celebrate the fact that he lives. We're going to fact that he is a, is a risen Lord. What's implied in the distributed bread and the pledged presence is a risen Lord. Man, we have got to enjoy that. Without a resurrection, he's not himself the bread. Without a resurrection, he is not with us as we take it. Without a resurrection, there's no presence with us because he's still in his tomb. But with a resurrection and pledge, he's with us. So take it and take him. Now here's the second part of this distribution thought. It's a sober thought coupled with the joy of the distribution and his presence. Mark introduces a series of sandwiches. They may be all over the book. I've, I haven't preached through the book of Mark before, but I've preached through parts of it these last few weeks. And I pointed out a few weeks ago a sandwich. Greg pointed out a sandwich last week, and I'm going to show you another sandwich right now. We just remember this. Mark uses sandwiches so that you enjoy a good meal. The sandwich that I pointed out a couple weeks ago was the sandwich of the, the clearing of the temple being the meat and cheese with the bread on each side of the sandwich being the, 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 uh, the cursing of the fig tree and the consequences of the curse, what happened to the fig tree. So that's the bread of the sandwich. And you sort of make sense of the center by the outsides or the other way around. Make sense of the outsides by the center. It's connected as part of one thought and one meal. 
Greg shared a sandwich last week from Mark chapter 14, where Mary's broken vial that was poured out, anointing Christ's head, stands in stark contrast to the murderous plots before it and after it. Okay, so here's a third sandwich, and it's a wonderful sandwich dealing with the scandal of distribution. The first part of the sandwich and the bread would be in verses 17 through 21. I'll just share verses 17 and 18 to kind of give you a sense of what that piece of bread is. And when it was evening, he came with the 12. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me who is eating with me. That piece of bread is a picture of betrayal. Okay, look fast forward to a passage I didn't read, but we can read it just briefly to get this other piece of bread. Beginning in verse 27. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times, buddy. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. That's the other piece of bread. And the meat and cheese in the middle of this little sandwich, just to consider for a moment, is the beauty of the nourishment and care from the king. Nourishment and care from the king. What I want you to see in Mark's sandwich that he's developed here is that Psalms 23 takes on a whole new meaning here. You have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. A table full of them. A table full of enemies. They're right here at the table with him. All of them are going to fail him this night. Mark's sandwiches are delightful. And this one, just consider this. The self-sacrifice of Jesus stands in stark contrast to the infidelity of the disciples. The good news here is that Jesus isn't laying down his life for the worthy, but for the cowardly and unfaithful and frail and feeble. That's good news to me. I hope it's good news to you. There may have been only one official traitor at that table, but they all failed him that night. All, if not from greed, then from weakness and fear and cowardice. I thought it wonderful that in the three years that they spent with him, that at this meal, when he identified that there was a betrayer among them, that they all, even though they're confident later, they all started with, is it I? Is it I? There's a wonderful humility in that. We're taking ownership. Lord, I don't even know what I'm capable of. Lord, bind my wandering heart to thee. Keep me at your table, please, Lord, because I know what I'm capable of apart from you. Here's the good news of the distribution. Romans 5, 8 says, God shows his love for us in this, in, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Or in this meal and really in the supper with the cup. I introduced to you the sort of the plan of the four different cups. I'd like to read again the passage uh, in Mark chapter 14. 
beginning in verse 23 and 24, and let's consider together, if we can, the cups. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Remember the four different cups from the Exodus chapter 6 passage. Cup number one, I will bring you out. Cup number two, I will free you from bondage. Cup number three is where Jesus has shared all that he shared at this meal while they were eating. Cup number three, I will redeem you. This is the redemption cup. The redemption cup. This is my blood of the covenant are the words that he used. Speaking of the new covenant referenced in Jeremiah 31. The old covenant was confirmed and ratified with the shedding of blood. And the same is true of the new covenant. The new covenant that was promised in Jeremiah chapter 31 is ratified as of that night 2,000 years ago and the next day in the blood that was shed and confirmed with the shed blood of Christ. When we drink the cup, we know the fullness of salvation was achieved in his death on behalf of the many. <laughs> That's us. The many. The many are the redeemed community. That's who we are. The many. Now, I mentioned when I read this passage earlier that something was missing. When they sung their hymn, sang their hymn, I'm going to get it right someday. When they finished their evening and they were singing and something was missing, was that fourth cup. And Jesus at this passage says, truly, truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. One of the things that's missing in this Passover meal on this night 2,000 years ago is the fourth cup. The fourth cup, you remember from Exodus chapter 6, is I will take you for my people and I will be your God. The fact that he left off that cup, he's saying, I will not drink of this cup until I take you, until I come to get you, until the marriage supper of the Lamb when we're all together. The word until is the banner that hangs over every single supper. Until he comes back, we continue to enjoy the redemption. Until he comes back, we pine together for his return when he takes us and he makes us his own. That fourth cup is the cup he's holding out on until we're all together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to distribute the bread today and to take it and eat it and enjoy his presence in your homes. Man, that is some seriously good news. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to drink up as the redeemed many until he returns and we have the fourth cup with him together. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for this wonderful meal that you shared with a motley crew 2,000 years ago. We're so thankful for what you accomplished um, through the cross the next day. Lord, we worship you with hearts of gratitude, with hearts of wonder that grace would reach so low. 
where we worship you with hearts of humility, knowing that we fail you, and we fail you, and you are so relentlessly good to us. You are a good king. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. I want to encourage you in the remaining time that you have uh, today as you worship, uh, maybe as you take the supper, to maybe read one of the accounts. You may read the account from Mark chapter 4 and just walk through and take the supper together. Some of the other accounts are Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29, Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20, or you could read Paul's account in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. I would encourage you to take those, um, to read those passages or one of those passages, and as families or as groups of brothers and sisters that are gathering uh, to enjoy our Lord together and enjoy his presence and to, to pine together for the until of his return. Let me end our morning together with a benediction. So join me if you would in receiving this benediction from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless y'all. Thank you for joining us today. We will be uh, trying to Keep information in front of you to where we can continue to do life together as much as possible. Love y'all.